Hello, everyone. This is Xander Brothel, Director of Marketing Ops at CS2 Marketing with the Forward Thinking Podcast. Joining me today is Chrissy and Charlie. Thanks so much for being on today, you two. Thanks. Yeah, excited to be on. I, I, I love these episodes. Um, so yeah, why don't you hit it with what we're going to go through today, Sander? Always a good topic. So today <laughs> we are looking forward um, to 2023. Uh, predictions for revenue operations with B2B SaaS companies. Um, so Chrissy, could you just start us off? Um, I'm a marketing ops manager. I'm buried in requests. I haven't had a time to, you know, pay any attention to what's going on in the world. What's going on in the world? Where are we at in the current state? Yeah. Um, there's, you know, besides everyone just getting sick and stuff like that right now, uh, which is our reality, uh, I think uh we all are kind of if you are in the b2b SaaS space you're feeling the um the effects of i think what everyone keeps saying the impending recession i mean i feel like we're kind of in one right now um but or economic slowdown and the effects of that and really hitting um tech pretty hard especially um at startups and some bigger companies as well so no one's really really protected at this point but um it's a bit unpredictable, but you know, ever people are dealing with layoffs, um, resources getting cut, budgets being slashed, uh, series anything beyond like Series A funding are basically like non-existent right now. Uh, so companies are really trying to hold on to their bootstraps and try and um, do whatever they can to kind of recover and become. Um, either a bit more profitable or just, you know, try to pull the reins in because I think everyone, I mean, hey, let's face it, we're talking about layoffs right now and we did podcasts this summer talking about how crazy the job market was, right? Yeah. So it was a, it's a wild turnaround. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, wow, this is, this is a big change just in like four or five months. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot kind of going on um, from a resource perspective, funding perspective, just business perspective. And so, um, yeah, I think a lot of our predictions from us and the team um, have that as like a backdrop. Uh, so just want to make sure we all kind of, you know, talked about that first. Yeah, yeah ironically, the interesting thing is that... Um, the one thing I've learned this year is that predictions are always wrong. No one can predict anything, right? I know this podcast <laughs> yeah. is about predictions, but who saw this coming, you know, at the end of last year? Who saw COVID coming before that? It's just, you know, it's so difficult to predict. Like you said, everyone was being, investors were telling their, their the companies they've invested in to just hire like crazy, get the talent, the talent wars and employees had all the power. Now, several months later, it's literally the opposite. Investors are telling everyone to lay off people. And it's like, and these are sophisticated investors, sophisticated people who've got teams of people trying to predict the future and didn't see it coming. So it, it's crazy. So, but we'll try and be, our predictions will, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll follow back up later on next year and see if we were right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that a lot of the predictions, um, you know, some of them are maybe pessimistic, but I think that a lot of them are still optimistic because yeah. the right. businesses like we can't just change our goals and not sell as much. Right. So it's it is much more about how do I make more with less um, and hopefully not burn our people out at the same time. So. Um, so yeah, what I'm what we're gonna do is I will just start us off with some of our predictions. Um, these were crowdsourced by the CS2 team, so thank you team for providing uh, some of these great predictions. And then we're just gonna you know talk about them and and mm -hmm. provide our own feedback here. So the the first one I think is very uh, very relevant to some of our topics from last year, uh, and this is from Joy on the team. Joy says there will be an even tighter focus around marketing and revenue analytics with budget cuts at a lot at a lot of SaaS companies really showing what's working and what's not working getting tighter around tracking those goals etc 
Charlie, what do you think? I definitely agree. I mean, we're already seeing this now. Um, I think whenever there's pressure, people want to be able to have insight to be able to make decisions to kind of counteract that pressure, right? So they're being asked, we, okay, if you give a hypothetical scenario, if you're being asked to cut your budget by 50%, you want to make sure that the 50% that you've got left in that budget investment is going to give you the best ROI. So how do you know what's going to give you the best return on the investment by looking at kind of past performance, your analytics and understanding your business and being able to really understand kind of what levers to pull and where to put that money for maximum effect. So definitely we've already seen this with clients, a huge focus on, on analytics, just to uncover those insights, to be able to improve what they're doing next year. Obviously it's always been important, but when everything seems to work and money is free flowing and you can kind of like, you've got an endless supply and your customers have an endless supply and it's just kind of everything just is a bit easier and just working. Maybe you don't need to have such a tight focus on it because kind of whatever spaghetti you throw at the wall seems to stick. Now it's not sticking. So you're like, okay, I need to figure out how to cook this spaghetti a bit better to, <laughs> um, to, to try and make sure that we're really doing what's working. So definitely agree. I think that's, um, and I think that's a, I mean, if anything, sometimes, pressure like this can be a good thing because yeah. probably should have had more scrutiny. Companies should be kind of utilizing their analytics more. Uh, in the past, we've seen a lot of just kind of people being hungry for data, but not really being able to figure out how to get insights out of their data. So like now people are really going, okay, we've got this data. How we can, how can we actually draw insight out of that, build a narrative and understand how to improve the business as opposed to just like, investing in a lot of tech and maybe attribution tools and all of this data without a real good strategy on how to use it and make sure that we're actually doing what's right for our business when it comes to marketing investment. Absolutely. I think uh, it, it reminds me, I was, I was fighting a, for a business case to bring on an attribution tool in my past. And, you know, the CEO and the CFO, we had a lot of money in the bank. We had a lot of investment ready to go. And it was like, that's not important right now. Just put that money and spend it where you can. And then as soon as things started tightening up, it was like, well, what's working? And I'm like, well, we don't <laughs> have the, the, the infrastructure in place to really be able to like answer that. So, you know, that's, that's the other, that's the other piece here is that if you haven't taken the time to build out the right reporting structures, the right data models on the back end, and now you start to pull out data, you know, it, it's probably better than nothing, but you could find yourself making some difficult decisions based upon imperfect data. Um, so as, as if you are in that situation, I think starting now is the right time, uh, making sure that that's a priority because it's not going to get any easier. Totally agree. What, what about you, Chrissy, anything here? I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I think I, we see it across our clients too. So I think even when um, kind of, you know, the bandwidth is tight, I think that these projects, like as far as like focusing on reporting and analytics and measurement is being prioritized to the top. Uh, so it just shows like how much, you know, marketing and revenue revenue teams in general are really focused on, on the data and analytics. And, and I think to add on to that too, I think um, like marketing and sales together, I think are just going to take more of a stronger ownership in um, providing that data, but also setting the goals and setting like realistic, you know, goals and um, being part of that goal planning process. We've talked about that in the past. And I think that's going to continue uh, to be the case. So, um, ops teams are definitely going to feel the result of that, of that being on their roadmap, right? Because they're yeah. going to, they're going to need those insights. And I think that, that to that tune, I've been working with a lot of clients where we are trying to figure out, you know, whether it's tipping point attribution, first touch, last touch, what have you of, mm -hmm. well, what is marketing bringing to the table? What is sales bringing to the table? Because when money's flowing, those questions don't necessarily get answered because the revenue numbers are being hit. But if things are slowing down and you're trying to figure out what's working and not working, just going into those conversations as a collective revenue team that we're not trying to point fingers, we're not trying to say, 
this is mine and that's yours, but we're trying to figure out together, you know, what's working and, and how to do that better. Um, going back to the, you know, this data isn't to show us what we did, but how we can improve with it. Totally. Totally. I like it. Um, so Charlie has the next bit of predictions here. Um, so the, uh, the tech debt is going to be even more rampant. It's going to require a lot of work on ops people to dig out of this tech debt hole in 2024. Chrissy, what do you think? Do you agree? Do you disagree? I think that we're already there with tech debt, but it's going to be even uh, worse uh, for for teams to kind of get themselves out of that hole. So I think 2024 is going to be very interesting, like Charlie mentioned. Um, I think for companies that are just going to still underinvest in resources, which like if you weren't investing before, I'd be shocked if you're going to make the case for investing now. Um, although it might be great too. Um, but teams are just going to continue to, um, you know, let's face it, there's going to be people leaving. There's going to be lack of like tools that can be purchased. And so when it comes to that, like people are going to do kind of a buy versus build situation. Uh, people are going to kind of go rogue. Uh, there's probably maybe less alignment because they might be the only person left doing ops. So like who's going to monitor their work or whatever they're doing. So, um, and then they're not going to be able to find the time or resources to really dedicate to um, addressing current tech debt, which is really the thing that ne needs to be done for a lot of orgs. Um, and so I, I, I agree with Charlie, unfortunately, um, but I think this is kind of a warning and a reminder for for teams of like, maybe don't get into that or maybe still prioritize that project and chip away at it. Um, think of this time as maybe now uh, going back to um, that foundation and basics and making it stronger so you can add on more to it with a, you know, with a buy versus build mentality maybe even, but just really getting to a place where your processes and operations are scalable and sophisticated, but not complicated and messy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously this was my one, so I agree with it, but, um, and kind of just agree with everything that Christy said. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely going to be, again, a, a pressure on the teams to focus on, other things other than paying down the current current existing tech debt right because to a lot of the leaders of a business they may not understand really just like how effed up <laughs> their systems are and just like how duct taped together everything is and how vulnerable and kind of lack of proper foundation their whole you know technology architecture for their marketing and revenue teams uh, is based on and therefore they're trying to drive revenue, right? They're trying to think about the ways that their team can help, you know, serve their customers directly. And they're not thinking about how that architecture may impact that, even though it totally does, right? Even as you think about just like how emails get sent out, you know, to the wrong person or with bad personalization or bad data, just based on the bad, bad data in your system. And that's just like a tiny slither of what this tech deck could be. And there's all yeah. of the the inefficiencies that are built throughout the teams because they're all spending a lot of time troubleshooting or they're spending a lot of time, you know, not able to really do those revenue generating activities because every time they need to either build something or, or, you know, upload a list or run a campaign or whatever it needs to be, they're just being bogged down by all this tech debt and all these issues they've got to work through. So it totally has an impact on both the top line and the bottom line, but it's kind of so obscured and, technical and confusing that company you can totally see like a cmo being like why should we move all of our stuff in salesforce from process builders to flows it's just automation doing it let's just go do something else let's go run run some paid ads or something so it's it's tough and i and I think that to a lot of Chrissy's points you know now with the teams with less people less re resources um, it's just going to further make the problem worse. So like I, I mentioned in, in my prediction, 
this next 12 months is going to be the year of tech debt accumulation. And then 2024, I've got already a prediction of 2024. That's going to be <laughs> when companies are so feeling the pain so hardcore that they're going to have to start addressing it. And hopefully by then budgets have ticked up again and they can actually start doing that. So everyone in RevOps, marketing ops, in in this world that we're in, kind of on the ground level, like doing the work, like roll, get ready to roll up your sleeves because at some point we're going to have to clean up the mess that, that this next 12 months is going to leave us. Is there anything now that we can do to try and try and, you know, curb that? Um, as I think about it, like when, when you're bringing on new projects, right, you, you've just gone through, there's been an elimination of people. You have to really start to think about what's our priority. What's, what's mm -hmm. the, it's got to get done next year versus the nice to haves. And if you really start to focus on those big rocks as a collective team, you can, you can still build some scalable solutions while maybe picking up a little bit of tech debt. But if you're trying to still with three people on the team, as you are doing now with one, that's where a lot of these band-aids come into place because you're just trying to juggle and spin the plates as opposed to getting full solutions. Anything else that you can think of that would be uh, useful for our listeners? It's tough because kind of the definition of debt, tech debt is kind of just rushing things through, partly because you don't have the resources to, <laughs> to do it properly. So like if you don't have the resources to do it and yeah. time, like, like, yeah. but time is kind of a calculation based off resources, right? right. Like if you have five mm -hmm. people, then you have five people's time. And if you have one, you have one. So it's, if you don't have the resources, the only other part of the tech debt equation is therefore like what you yeah. choose to do, right? So you probably have to figure out how can I choose to do less or to Chrissy's point, keep things simple, try and focus on, um, the 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 roadmap items that are going to be still impactful but maybe do not require a ton of like complex automation and uh, and anything that's going to be kind of tough to maintain and build properly therefore in rushing it is just going to cause an issue there's the buy versus build dynamic you know i think i look to chris's point a lot of people are going to be starting to think about building it themselves as opposed to buying at all and that is that is fine but, and there's so many, it depends stuff in this question, like it depends what you're trying to build, but you really need to figure out like, is actually building it ourselves the right thing to do, right? I had a conversation with someone yesterday. He said he was talking about back, back when he first started his, his career, he was in kind of, he worked for a company and they were trying to build their own marketing automation platform. To, this was like over 10 years ago, like back when it was like Marketo and Eloqua were kind of very, very early days. And, um, and they realized, oh, we just need to get Eloqua. Maybe not my decision on the Eloqua <laughs> front, but they suddenly went that front. And he was talking about, hey, we, I don't want to try and build this, you know, because we've got to, it's better to just buy it and get a, get a purpose-built solution. And I think, you know, you, you, that there is, you know, a lot of value in that for like a true part of your full architecture that you know you're going to have around for a long time, just like, but buy the best in class tool that's going to have the support as opposed to trying to do it yourself um, and then building a lot of tech debt. Or maybe just don't do that yeah. thing for now. You know, wait mm -hmm. until maybe you have the budget. Wait until mid next year and reevaluate. Try and kind of get everything that you've currently got built working better as opposed to just building more and more Frankenstack on top of everything. Yeah. I, I will add on to that because I've been seeing like a, an interesting thing on LinkedIn recently where talk about buy versus build for a market automation platform. But I've seen a lot of conversations around people talking about how can we eliminate, you know, Marketo? Should we do a mix of like using a like simple ESP mixed with a tray mixed with a... Uh, you know, some type of data automation tool to then to our CRM. And um, I would say like with caution approach that. And I, I think don't get caught up in some of those conversations and think that like the there's an underestimation of like just how much work that would be. And if it's actually worth the time to do that, especially right now. If anything, go use that, those hours to just try and get a discount on whatever tool you're using. Or I've seen contracts for market automation platforms and 
this is, they don't want me saying this, but I see things. I'm like, the client's not even utilizing a -hmm. lot of what they're paying for. So go, go to there, go there first and see, and then really decide, okay, long-term, maybe that is a, something we're moved to a different solution, or maybe you don't need that, um, that solution because you're not using all of its capabilities, but make the case for that first. Um, I just worry that people just tech debt, they think, oh, eliminating a tool, it means I'm eliminating a tech debt. You know, Xander and I already talked about that on the podcast this year, but you you might just be moving that tech debt to another spot and then in more complex tools that people don't yeah. understand. You know? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> actually a really good point. And I think to kind of build on that point when you're thinking about what to implement whether it's your i know your own custom built thing or it's a a dedicated tool you really do have to think about kind of the like all of the extra costs that come along with that right so one of the things that you were just talking about there like if you were to get rid of maybe marketo and build kind of this kind of very advanced complex thing with you know other automation tools and and all of these integrations you know, yes, that might be a good thing, but like how much is it going to cost you to hire the team to be able to support that? Because you might be able to find, you know, a general marketing automation person that can handle a lot of the complex stuff that Marketo can do. But now you've got to have, find a lot of all these other people to handle all these other tools that, that doesn't have a bigger, doesn't have as big of a community and talent pool for you to tap into. So it's harder for you to recruit them. It's hard, you've got to pay them probably more money. So all of these decisions that you make, you've got to think about what are the additional costs that come along with those. And if, and if the more complicated things are, the more expensive your team is going to be, that's having to look after all of that, you know, the more additional tools you might need to help, you know, deal with some of those complexities or help you troubleshoot or handle things. Right. So like it just kind of compounds. It's not, it's never just like this one thing that you're dealing with, like really think about the full picture um, of cost and and don't look at it as just like if i just build this thing or buy this tool it's just those two costs versus each other because there's so many other costs that come into play both kind of opportunity costs time costs actual true financial costs so you got to think about about the whole way and communicate that to the business yeah yeah absolutely um you know, it, I feel like Ghani was a part of our conversation because one of his predictions was all around tech consolidation. Um, what I want to what I want to mm. make sure that we call out here is that, you know, Ghani says tech consolidation is going to be huge, especially when it comes to company wide tools serving multiple purposes. Um, this, I think, is a really good uh, uh, specific use case. So like marketing, adopting a Jira or a, you know, corporate wide ticketing solution instead of their own zoom webinars being used instead of event platforms that are set up specifically for marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Any thoughts there? I mean, I, I think that that is a good spot on prediction. I think it's already happening. Um, and I actually don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. I think one thing that was just happening at like the, the boom days is like people just racked up technologies. Um, there wasn't a lot of like alignment across like or procurement going, oh, hey, we have something very similar to this already. Why don't you go use this or like meet with IT? And so I think now that there's like more people involved at the company around those decisions, I think it's just smarter, to be honest. Um, and and then also, I think that it's probably going to push marketers, rev ops people, sales ops people to really think about their, like what they do and hone their skills and not have it be so tied to specific yeah. tools. I think really think about like, okay, we have this business use case. We have these tools and resources available let's be creative and crafty on how we can do it. And I think that's what makes a really good ops person, like especially from like a uh, solutions architect uh, to really think through that. And um, I, I think back to early on my career where it was hard to get budget. You couldn't buy new tools. And frankly, some of them just weren't even there. Some of my favorite <laughs> projects were just figuring out 
how do I do this? Like I had to figure out how to do direct mail at scale and we didn't have Sendoso, you know, but I, I still figured it out and, um, and was able to do it at a low cost and, um, proved it out. And, 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 and so I, I think it'll be really interesting and kind of like actually maybe just good for operations folks to be pushed yeah. to do that. I think it, it's so important to be on top of your renewals of your SaaS software, right? Like, mm -hmm. I just always think mm -hmm. about you get to the renewal, it's 90 days before it it's that date for a reason, right? It's not long enough to replace the tool. So that's when the vendor is going to reach out and say, Hey, are you, yeah. uh, are you interested to go? So if you're not being proactive and looking at it six months in advance, you don't know, do I have to set up now three months worth of projects to unhook that tool? Or you go into that renewal conversation already too late and you're just going to lock yourself in again. So, you know, as you're looking at these, yeah. at these consolidations, five project management tools, I think we've all been there, right? And it's every team using their own. Whereas yeah. if you just combine that into a single contract, you all of a sudden get this amazing volume discount. But if they're all at different times and you're not thinking about that proactively, you're going to be stuck into those five contracts next year as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think someone needs to be just be owning that. I feel like that used to be like a big part of ops role is just managing that and the costs and cheering that up to campaigns and stuff. I'm sure that's part of someone's role now. Procurement was uh, my best too, friend. But, <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, but we've even seen clients who found out that some of their tools were on auto renewal. And so they didn't even realize, like no one reached out to them. No one told them and, and demand gen or whoever owned the contract. And they're like, oh, I guess we're going to have to pay 120K again for that webinar platform this year. Ouch. You know, so that, yeah, I think getting a handle they have access to days is smart. Yeah, they don't even know to have access to the tool because someone bought it right. and left. I mean, that, that, that could even be maybe a prediction because... Yeah, maybe the person who got the budget approved for a certain tool got has been part of the layoffs. Now the company kind of forgot they have that tool. So like how much shelfware is sit sitting there the companies don't know about because the person that was managing it is not no longer there. I'm sure yeah. that's yeah. going on yeah, right now. Absolutely. And Chrissy, you just made me you just reminded me of the Marketo Pearls. Do people still use oh, them I in, don't think in direct so. mail stuff? They could, they should though. <laughs> yeah personalized urls that was the way yeah um you're like sending the thing and they're like here's your url click this if you get this and go to your landing yeah. page kind of thing mm -hmm. yeah. yeah good old days <laughs> i i feel like we probably want to move to the next one but thinking about tech consolidation what do you both think about like actual martech company consolidation do you think that there's going to be acquisitions, acquisitions next year yeah I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, money isn't as as rampantly flowing. I'm sure. I mean, we just saw Cooper, the acquisition of Cooper via private equity. I'm sure there's going to continue to be private equity. I mean, because companies are um, valued lower now, so maybe there's some maybe yeah. bargains to be had out there for PE firms. Um, running out of cash as well. Just yeah, more fire sales. Yeah. I, I, it's a tough one. I'm, I'm, I think that there is, there's probably an argument that it, it should happen to try and talk about what we're talking about here, or to kind of realize what we're talking about to kind of bring some of this tech together, kind of integrate it better and offer a platform as opposed to just like so many different point solutions that, um, yeah. poorly integrated. So yeah, I don't know. What do you two think? Well, I think that, you know, it's sort of like stocks. You buy when it's low and you sell when it's high, right? And <laughs> I think that, you know, if you are an organization, there's going to be, we thought with with COVID that everybody was going to be hit the same way in, in the recession. And we found that there were certain organizations and companies mm -hmm. that thrived and others that did not. I think we're going to face that in this in this time frame as well. Um, and if there is a lot of consolidation, typically it's the point solutions that get, you know, eliminated first. 
but the big players are still going to have a lot of their clients, right? The stickier solutions are still going to have good customer bases. And that's probably a different topic that we can talk about is, is how do you market and sell to your customer base? Um, and you bring in new features, functionality, mm -hmm. which can come into the form of acquisition. So I say totally. sky's the limit. If you have the ability to, this would probably be the right time to do it. Right. Yeah. I don't run a business though, so we'll right, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think from your point, I think being a business owner, I wouldn't be really trying to sell during this time unless yeah. I had to, unless I really right. felt like I had to. So I think that would probably only see opportunistic uh, acquisitions happening. Um, where it seems like a solid fit and then that other company just, you know, would benefit from just being part of that larger org. Um, but other than that, I, I see it more, like you said, like a desperation move than a yeah. smart business move on their behalf. So. Uh, so, so going into another topic that I think is, is we've been talking about going back, um, and this is from our team member, Matt. Uh, Matt is predicting that we're going to have a renewed focus on back to the basics. Um, when money was free, everybody was getting everything that they wanted. We could try out every single different strategy, but maybe it was just a small team doing those strategies. So, you know, we can't just jump onto bandwagons. We have to think critically. We have to have the right strategy approach and making sure that it's going to be a success. He's calling out specifically ABM and PLG. They're great strategies. We've talked a lot about them on the podcast, but they're strategies and they require a lot of effort to make it happen. So, you know, when money is tighter, that may not be the time to uh, go about when it has poor strategy, poor execution, poor measurement, or all of the above. What do you think? We're going back to the basics. Yeah, I, I think this is it. I've got a nuanced answer here. So yeah. I I agree with the back to the basics 100%. I think we've already talked, covered this on this podcast, right? Like yeah. keep things simple, mainly from like a tech debt management, like you've got less resources, so just do less. <laughs> I mean, you just can't do too much to be more picky, be more um, prioritized and pro probably prioritizing the things that are more foundational just to kind of mm -hmm. get some efficiency in, in the business and trying to improve the bottom line. The, the th where I think there's an interesting, um, uh, maybe counter argument to what Matt's saying, cause he's calling out both ABM and PLG. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you think about kind of the rise of these go-to-market strategies and ABM, you know, really, this might be a controversial opinion, but ABM wasn't really anything new, right? Like companies have always been trying to land big accounts. They've always been trying to like heavily personalize their efforts towards big accounts. It got rebranded as ABM. And yes, there were maybe there were some more fundamental parts of that go to market strategy that kind of got well evangelized and kind of like frameworks got developed on how to how to do that. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it wasn't, it was just still a sales led motion and kind of typical to what you're doing before, but it was just more outbound and there wasn't, it wasn't really changing how people interact with your product and like really how you actually sell, right? You're still selling in a sales led motion. PLG is a different way for people to interact with your product is a different way to actually sell. And probably in this market where budgets are tight is probably the most efficient way to sell, right? You don't need massive sales teams that you're paying lots of money to try and close these deals. You can sell smaller deals, which maybe slip through procurement a bit easier at your clients because, you know, they probably, they have different thresholds on different procurement levels and different amounts, which have to go through more appro approvals. So maybe they get approval for a smaller contract for a smaller group of users to test it out. And then it's the typical land and expand type motion. And I think what everyone is finding now is that um, growing your custom, your existing customer base with upsells and um, cross-sells is way easier than a, acquiring a new customer, mm -hmm. you know? So 
And and actually, one thing I saw on LinkedIn today, someone was talking about that where they were saying, you know, their investor was telling them to cut all of their CS team first, but now their investors come back. Well, they, there was like a list of apologies. Was like the investors like, first off, I'm sorry for telling you to overhire. Then I'm sorry for telling you just to lay off all of your CS team. Yeah. And now um, there's like a list of apologies. It was kind of interesting, but so all the companies that lay off their CS team and they kept on investing in trying to acquire new business are really struggling because new business is very difficult to get right now, but they could have been upsetting their customers and also, or just retaining yeah. their customers, retaining right? Them. Yeah. And so they're seeing massive amounts of churn. Anyway, back to my original point is that with a PLG motion, might actually be the right strategy for this type of environment where you can sell something smaller, smaller cost of the company, get some traction, show value live, like for them and be able to demonstrate that value and then grow the account. So, so I think, I, I don't, th I don't personally think of PLG as, as in the same light as I see ABM. Um, I'd love to know, what do you two think? I can I can comment first, um, but I'll say you made me feel better. I, I I posted in like July or something of this year about how big of a mistake it was for companies to lay off their customer success team. So, you know, I'm not gonna say anything. That was your prediction but from July. That was my <laughs> prediction. Everyone's gonna regret it. Um, but I, I agree with you with PLG, and, and one of the things I will say because we all we all three of us we just talked about PLG yeah. on the podcast recently. And, talked about how many companies underestimate that switch, especially when you go from sales led to, uh, to embarking on, on PLG. I will say that it can be beneficial, like what Charlie's talking about, especially as you can, you know, reduce your sales team, but also like Charlie said, like if you can have that, um, if you want to sell into SMB and the, and the company has been hesitant to, or they have, but it's, it, they've been still hesitant because it's a very high lift from a salesperson. And that was the only kind of motion they supported. I think that now is the time that they can start prepping for that. I will say 2023, it won't be like January, 2023 is going to be like, yes, we're rolling that out. But I do think, think that companies are probably going to start thinking about, okay, how can we, like Charlie said, maybe get more, fast closing deals there, but in a way where we don't have to, um, put a lot of resources into salespeople, um, and then have that be, and, and let's face it, like, I think at the same time, the sales process has like completely changed. And that's what people are feeling too. Is like, okay, even if we have a sales team, our sales team was, wasn't very effective this year unless it was just a slam dunk. Like that, that deal, that person probably really bought because it was a word of mouth or they found out from a community or, you know, there was something there. So it was already hard. I think ABM, I agree, like is not the one that they would maybe invest a bit more, but PLG might be one because we're just seeing that, yes, you can figure out ways to surface deals in a non-traditional way and put more of the, um, put more of the focus on the end user to do all of that, like research and testing and of the tool and proving it out themselves, which is kind of what people want to do anyway. Um, and so I think it's just matching, like also just what the market kind of wanted, but in a more expedited fashion. Yeah. I think I'm going to go with Matt a little bit here mostly to, to keep things interesting. Cause I think that where, where ABM <laughs> will still have a very big play is on your customer base. Um, so maybe it's taking less yeah. of those funds, trying to land a big whale, but taking your existing big whale and trying to go deeper. So, so using those very targeted mm -hmm. approaches with your customer base um, in, in my past in kind of similar economic situations, we found a lot of success with that, right? With the with the existing user base, because they, you know, they may still be using just a small part of your product. Um, and that may not be able to be achieved through a pure product uh, perspective. I think that where PLG is still going to be a, 
a pain is also that it requires so many people in the organization. So it's not just the sales team that got shut, yeah. that got cut. It's the engineering team. It's the product team. And those teams really need to be involved in it. So right. if your organization, you know, it's not just something that the marketing team can come out and say, we're going to do PLG this year. Like it has to be an organization led uh, initiative to make that really work with fewer people. So still a great idea. I, I, I definitely agree with, uh, with what you both have said uh, about, you know, the benefit of moving there because it is a lower lift for sales. Um, but you have to make sure that you have the right, the right teams in place to make it happen. Yeah. It what you're saying is it depends, which obviously <laughs> is right. Yeah. No, I think the, you know, the PLG approach obviously comes with the caveat that everything we talked yeah. about in the other podcast, where it's, it's right. hard to implement, you got to think about it properly, make sure it's right for you, is, is, do you have the right type of product, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that if, if, it, if you can pull it off, and then yes, it could be a good use of resources during a time like this. Mm-hmm. If you can't pull it off and it's going to be too complicated, then it could be the opposite, right? It could be a major distraction. And that's probably what Matt's, Matt's point is. He's like, right. really his point is, okay, there are bandwagons, ABM and PLG being a couple of them. And a lot of companies maybe jumped onto these thinking that it was right for them, maybe that it wasn't. So if that, that, if that from his point there, I think he's, he's right. Maybe critically thinking about whether these strategies are right. Um, as, and I guess he's not saying just like, get rid of them regardless. Right. It's, right. it's whether you're just trying to figure out if it's right, right for you. And I, but I did like your point there, but pivoting ABM to just be like customer, customer ABM, right. Just like really targeted. How do we land, like not land, how do we expand our customer base, especially, um, the companies that are really feeling the pain right now are companies yeah. sell seats, right? Like if you're selling seats and all your clients are laying off people, that's an instant hit to your revenue right mm. so how do you figure out how do you how do you grow an existing client when they've got 50 percent less people yeah. to sell seats to that's mm -hmm. where you need to think about introducing different products and if you do have different products that you can sell um assuming that you do and trying to cross sell them um because otherwise you know you you just have the revenue hit, right? Because they're just there's less seats, there's less bodies to to put in the seats. So, um, but yeah, I, I I think that's it's definitely true. And I think and to kind of extrapolate more to what Matt's saying, really just taking a critical focus on your go to market strategy in general. Just yeah. like how are you taking your products to market, and are you doing it in the most efficient and effective 100%. way? Thank you. Um, any closing thoughts, any, any predictions that either of you have, I already read one of Charlie's, but any, anything just additional that you want to, uh, speak on? I think that, uh, my, one of my predictions that we didn't go through, but I think also a few members of the team had it as well, that when we think about, uh, maximizing our kind of like low hanging fruit, I think uh, companies are really going to kind of lean into mm. partnerships a bit more. Um, I already kind of see it too with companies kind of circling back where maybe it was a bit quiet on the partner side that they're trying to make incentives to work more closely with partners. Um, mm. And I think to what we just talked about is, uh, and also just a um, – a focus on customer marketing. I'm looking at it in a different way than I think it was before. I think people got, um, it, it's always been like, okay, new business, new business. We need to show to our investors that we're able to, you know, sign more logos and stuff like that. And I think what we saw a lot at growing companies is that in the end, like they kind of didn't put a focus on customer marketing or, um, and so now I'm glad that that's getting more of a focus. Um, and so, but not all companies are doing that. So I will say, um, if you, if you laid off your customer and partner marketing teams, that's going to be really tricky, but, um, 
really, I, I see maybe more companies just kind of like doubling down in those areas because it's just a fast track and those channels usually have a, you know, uh, faster velocity. And, um, so I, I, I see that happening more next year. I like it for sure. Yeah, I have another one. It's a bit depressing, though. Should I just save it? Well, you can't Sorry. bring it up now. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a positive one after that, too. Okay, to let's end on a high okay. for your one. Unfortunately, I think all, a lot of the progress that has been made on the company culture front is going to go mm. a little bit backwards. Um, over the last few years, especially, companies have had to invest a lot of money in kind of a lot of money and just thought into their culture how do they attract talent how do they keep talent yeah. by offering you know certain benefits trying to offer a good culture trying to be kind of like valuing the employee's well-being and all of that kind of stuff which has been awesome now of all the companies they're like we're a family we're this and now they've laid off half their their company like it it's going to start eroding some of that trust between the employer and the employees. It's going to pretend the, the company's in probably a stressful situation. So it's going to feel quite stressful. So I think the, I think a lot of the issues with burnout that have still been true, even when companies have been talking about promoting a healthy culture, I think it's just going to get potentially even, even worse at some of these companies because there's the do more with less type attitude. And now there's a lot of these kind of, big tech CEOs who have been kind of evangelizing like this hardcore work thing, like cough, cough, Elon Musk kind of mentality where it's like, you know, and I think that is potentially going to inspire a lot of other CEOs to maybe act in a similar way and start being like, you've got to be in the office, you've got to be working the nights and weekends and all of this kind of stuff. And I think that's unfortunate because we had, I feel like we had made some progress on, trying to get a good work work life balance in our industry and especially in in what we do in marketing ops rev ops where we've always been very under resourced and just recently it felt like we were making progress like companies investing a bit more maybe the one person of team of one had turned into a team of three and you were sharing the burden a little bit more but now you're back to a team of one or or now you know there's a lot more work on your plate and you're all of the hires that you work planning for 2023 have been taken off the table so i think my depressing forecast is that i think the next year is going to be a lot of work for a lot of people and it's going to be quite quite stressful and um, but hopefully i'm wrong on that one things can turn around quicker and we can make make progress back but unfortunately i think the burnout is going to be pretty strong next year yeah chrissy lift us up <laughs> well to combat that to combat that, I will say that this is also, we already had not a lot of talent in our job pool. So if you are at a company who still needs the help, resources, and wants to hire, you actually might have like way more people on the market right now that uh, fit the bill. And you, you know, you might have a fighting chance even as a yeah. small company. I think being a small business owner in general, you always felt like, oh, I can't, you know, compete with the Facebooks, the Googles of the world and, or even these larger companies because they have all this stock to offer people. And like, and I think now people are realizing, shit, that's gambling, right? Like my stock turned into nothing or like I'm, it's like, I'm in this shitty situation. So I think for small business owners, small startups, teams where you felt like you're really like challenged against like finding good people and talent, I think maybe now's an opportunity where you can. Um, so if you do have the case and you have those open headcounts and you're able to hold on to it, it's a good time to find a good person. I like that. Yes. Yeah. And those organizations can lead with their culture. And they're right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah there you go to kind of eradicate my negative thought and i mean and there are a lot of companies hiring out that hiring out. I, I saw a an article today that i think something 80 percent of all the tech workers that have been laid off found a job within three months hmm. um so and other statistics out there like you know facebook 
did their 11,000, doing their 11,000 person layoff, but they had hired like 21,000 people in the last 12 months. So they're still above where they were 12 months ago kind of thing. So a lot of these doom and gloom headlines, um, obviously really tough for the people involved, but they're, and actually one of the good things about the other article I said is that a lot of the people that got laid off when they did get laid off, they the next job they found was pay, paid them more than their previous job. Hmm. So I think there's, there's some goodness out, out there and hopefully that can continue and hopefully i'm wrong on the culture thing i just just feel for all the marketing up op- the small marketing ops teams out there that have al- already been struggling even you even even struggling during the boom yeah. times right, right. <laughs> to get enough resources so like how much are you going to struggle during the non non-boom i don't want to say bus time but they the, when boom times are over so um hopefully they can win the battle to get some resources at least maybe third party resources to help them next year um and and i'm wrong on that front yeah. so as we look at, but we'll see it's gonna be it's gonna a very be interesting, interesting year. year and i think i think you know to to kind of pull it all together um next year is going to be a time to focus and prioritize and really make sure that you're working mm-hmm. on meaningful work that is going to deliver results um you know focusing where success can be and you know working on that with the team that you do have access to um, as we think about culture, as we think about, you know, hiring and onboarding and offboarding, like the more simplified that we go with our approaches, the easier it is to bring on additional help. Um, even if it's temporary help, right? At the end of the day, we have to think about these problems mm-hmm. maybe a little bit differently than we did when uh, the, the economy was super strong. And hey, a lot's changed in six months. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we will be uh, back here in the summer with a predictions of the rest of 2023 um, and see where that goes. Because I think that a lot, you know, time is uh, a strange thing nowadays. And I think that we were due for yeah. some uh, some positivity soon. Learning that. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, and I think one of the things, like you said, um, is... You know, give if if there are the resource challenges, being creative about how you find resources, right? Like one of the, yeah. you know, I don't want to advertise CS2 here, but agencies like CS2 that offer such a breadth of expertise mm-hmm. and, and experience to be able to help you that you can access fractionally. So you don't need to hire like five different mm-hmm. people to do the five different things. If you can work with an agency that can do those five things, but you can access them as much as you need them and maybe have enough hours for one person across that agency but then you're getting the the fractional support across all the different disciplines that are really hard to find in just one person so um there's creative ways to to do that if if budget is available so um just throwing that out there and that's probably something that companies gonna have to consider more um as they look to get their work done still um with less actual true in individual full full person headcounts so All right. Well, hey, thank you all so much for listening. If you are still with us, we really, really appreciate your patronage. Um, If you enjoy this podcast, please do share it with your colleagues and friends. Give it a review if you haven't given it a review. It's a great way to make sure that the Forward Thinking Podcast is visible to uh, a broader audience than we even have today. This was the Forward Thinking Podcast. Thank you, Chrissy and Charlie, for joining us today, and we will see you next time.